Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. Great and under can go to kids' worship. Good, good morning, everybody. If you've got your Bible, turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Kids worship. Y'all head out with Jackson right there. All right, Luke 15. Are you guys awake out there? All right. I know it's dreary outside, but uh, it's not dreary in here. We've got a good God who loves us very much, and He's given us a good word in Luke chapter 15. How many of you know the, the parable the story that I'm about to tell just because I mentioned the passage. You know where I'm coming from, the prodigal son. Now, if you would, since you've been sitting a couple minutes and you'll be sitting a little longer, would you stand to honor the reading of God's Word with me? And we're going to begin in 11, chapter 15, verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, Give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hands or father's servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I'll arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son." Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Can we just stop for a moment and give glory to God that our father has compassion on wayward children? Isn't that good news? Verse 21, and the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hands and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered him, Father, look, these many years I've served you, and I've never disobeyed your command. 
Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that's mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and to be glad. For this brother, this your brother, was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's pray together. Father, your word is good. It is a seed. And would you please grant that the seed of your word, of your gospel, go down into our hearts the roots would spread out far and deep and wide, and Father, that they might bear fruit in our lives 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold for your glory and our good. Father, transform us, give us eyes to see you, and behold your glory in your word, and may, as we behold you, may we look more like you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Please be seated. Now, just a reminder, we are in a, a series here as we look at eight weeks of vision. Eight weeks of vision. And what I mean by that is the church, um, back in 2019, November 10th, 2019, voted uh, on a vision statement of what we felt like God was calling us to be. Each of our vision statements are, are we desire to, or we desire to be. And so, Mr. James, if you go all the way back to the beginning... We're going to read through the eight together just as a refresher to us. One, we desire to be a church that reflects heaven, a multi-generational, multi-ethnic group of worshipers who are captivated by and surrendered to Jesus. Two, this week, we desire to be a family where broken lives can encounter the healing power of Jesus. Number three, we desire to declare God's Word through singing, through preaching and evangelism. We believe it's our responsibility and privilege to share the good news of Jesus wherever we go. Four, we desire to become fully devoted disciples who are being transformed to look more like Jesus and are committed to knowing and obeying the Bible, loving one another, and making disciples of all nations. Number five. We desire to train the next generation of pastors, church planters, missionaries, parents, and professionals who will serve their communities and point others to Jesus. Six, we desire to deploy people to the edges of Oconee County and to the end of the world as ambassadors of Christ, armed with the gospel and filled with the Spirit. Seven, we desire to sow the gospel seed to thousands of people every year. And help people who are far from God trust Jesus, join the SBC family, and enter into a process of discipleship. And lastly, but not least of importance, we desire to see Jesus glorified in all that we do. Now that is who we feel like God has called us to be. We have a vision, we have a mission, which is what has God called us to do? A very short statement, say it with me if you're able we exist to help every person become a more devoted disciple of Jesus. Mr. James, let's try it again. Help me. The SBC mission, to help every person become a more devoted disciple of Jesus. That's for everybody in this room. 
Are you brand new to Jesus? We exist to help you become a more devoted disciple of Jesus. Have you been walking with Jesus a million years? We exist to help you become a more devoted disciple of Jesus. How do we do that? Three ways. Our strategy. Three D words, okay? Mr. James, declare, disciple, deploy. Declare the gospel, disciple the believer, deploy the church. And that is a circle, um, this ongoing cycle. It might start with discipleship and go to deploying so that we can declare, but it's always going to go in a circle, and that is why we exist. So point two today is our focus. So if you would, we desire to be a family where broken lives can encounter the healing power of Jesus. Okay, so let's come back to the Bible. Grab your word, open it up. Luke chapter 15. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, it'll be on the screen, but I encourage you, grab a Bible. There's a hardback black one in the pew rack in front of you. Next week, you bring one, okay? Now, this parable is called the parable of the what? prodigal son. Now, this parable is probably one of the most famous of Jesus's parables. Many people have heard this parable, and many people have preached this parable. I've preached this. This will be my second time preaching this parable at Seneca Baptist Church, and, but I, I have used this parable many, many times, and this parable is very familiar to us, but it's often a parable that's kind of misrepresented because how many sons are there in the, in the story? Two sons in the story. And we don't often understand that to preach only about one son is to misrepresent the text as a whole or the story as a whole. And so today, I want to preach this text. I want to look at two sons, and we're going to look at how two sons are both broken and both prodigal and both far from the father and both of those sons need to be restored. And so let's set up the story. In your Bible, on the screen, look back at verses 1 and 2. Chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, here's the problem that set up the parables. Are you with me, church? Amen this morning? Here's the problem. Verse 1, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Now, isn't that good news? That's a good problem to have, but it was not a good problem for a group of people. Verse 2, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, to eat with a sinner was more than to just share a meal with them, but it was to share life with them, to welcome somebody into your home or into your life. It was a meaningful moment. Now, meals back in the day were not 15-minute meals. How many of you remember raising children and meals felt like, how fast can we eat because we have homework and baths and sports and all these things that we have to get done, and meals were a sprint, but meals in this day and time lasted hours even. And so meals were very important. Now, in the passage, verse 1 and 2, we see the problem that's set up. And Jesus begins to address it. Now, here's the problem again. Sinners and tax collectors were coming to Jesus to hear Him. And the Pharisees, the people, the religious to uh, type of the day, they were grumbling about that. They saw that as problematic. Now, just note that that is the road that church people or the church is trying to walk. 
And there are often two ditches on either side of that narrow path that we often fall into. It's a difficult path. And so the one ditch on one side is church people will often complain about sinners coming in. And when a sinner comes in, guess what? They might even do sinful things on the front steps. They might smoke out front. Can you believe that? I can't imagine that a, a sinful person who doesn't know Jesus might smoke on the front porch. Or they might bring coffee into the sanctuary. Just imagine oh, the gasps, right? But the other ditch that we sometimes fall into is we live out the church in such a way that the church is no longer a safe place for messy people. And we don't want one and we don't want the other. Let me rephrase that. We want to become, with all that we are, a family where broken people can encounter the healing power of Jesus. We want that. We don't want complaining, but we also don't want to become a place that's unsafe where we can't bring our brokenness into the presence of a holy, healing God whose word both convicts and heals us. We want to be both of those. And these verses set up the rest of the chapter. So Jesus tells a threefold parable. In this chapter, chapter 15, first parable is the parable of the lost sheep. Do you remember? Jesus tells a parable about a man who has a hundred sheep. He loses one. What does he do? He leaves 99, the 99 in the open country, and he goes after the one. Isn't that a good truth? What a beautiful truth. And so, that's what he does. He searches after the sheep. He finds the sheep. He lovingly lays the sheep over his shoulder. He goes home, and when he goes home and gets home, he calls all of his relatives and friends together, and they throw a celebration, and they celebrate because what was valuable has been found and restored. The second parable is a parable about a lady who had lost a silver coin. Now, a little context for us. A little context. Many commentators will believe that this silver coin was a part of her bridal jewelry. So, it could have been a silver coin on a necklace of some kind, and she lost one of those. It would be like a lady losing her engagement ring. Now, in that context of the story, if you lost ladies, have you ever lost your engagement ring for a moment? You lost your wedding ring, and what did you do to the house? You tore it upside down, looking for your ring. Why? Because it's valuable to you. And what does she do when she finds it? She calls all her relatives and neighbors and says, I found it. Come celebrate with me, because what was valuable to me has been restored. Let's celebrate. And then she tells a third, or Jesus tells a third parable to prove his point. And he tells this parable about a, a lost son. And what happens? The son runs away, squanders his money, and he comes back. And the father runs out after the son, embraces the son, restores the son to the family. And you get this same idea over and over in each parable. Something is lost. It's valuable. It's found, it's restored, and there's a celebration. You see, the shepherd cares for the sheep. The woman cares 
for her bridal jewelry, and the father cares for the son. So when the thing of value is lost, those who care for it should do what? Search for it. Seek after it. Find it. Bring it home and call everyone together and rejoice because what was lost has been found. Makes perfect sense, right? You'd do the same thing in your home. But here's the plot twist in the story. The plot twist in the story comes in the third parable. Because in parable one, you've got a sheep. Are sheep known for being intelligent animals? No, they're not. No, they're not. Uh, So when Jesus calls us like sheep, it's oftentimes not a, you know, let me encourage you a little bit. No, we're, we're dumb animals who will wander away from the loving shepherd. But they're known to do that. A lost coin just happened to be misplaced. But that's, is that the story of the prodigal son? No, the story of the prodigal son, here's the plot twist. The prodigal son did not just accidentally say, where am I? He didn't get lost. He rebelled. He ran away from the father's house. And the, plot, the, the, the greater plot twist in this story is that this parable of the prodigal son actually really illustrates verses 1 and 2. It talks about both groups of people who are coming to hear Jesus' words. You've got the Pharisees and the scribes, and you've got the sinners and tax collectors. Who are the sinners and tax collectors in the parable of the prodigal son? They're the younger son. Who are the religious Pharisees and scribes in the story of the prodigal son? They're the older brother. And so we've got to see, we've got to understand as we start into this story that there are two groups of people coming to hear Jesus, and there are two brothers in this story, and it's a comparison being made. And here's what the parable reveals to both of us, or to about both groups. The parable reveals that both groups are separated from God the Father, and both of them need a Savior. The younger sons are separated from the father due to their sinful desires, which caused them to leave the father's house, his rule, his authority, so that they could seek pleasure and fulfill their desires and have happiness, as the world would call it. And they do it apart from God and find satisfaction outside of the father's house. That's the younger sons. Some of you, that's your story. Your story was, when I hit college, I went buck wild. I went absolutely crazy. I lost my mind. I was raised in church, but when I hit a certain age in my life, I ran from the Father's house. I didn't want His authority. I didn't want His rule. I thought I knew better. But the older brothers in the Father's house, they're obeying all the rules. They're trying to make the Father happy. But the older brothers are separated from the father also. They don't want the father, in fact, but only want what he has to offer them. Now, let me prove that to you. I want you to go to chapter 15. I want you to look at verse 29. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. What did he want from the father? 
He wanted what the Father had to offer. So, in this story and in our world, we need to understand that there are two kinds of people. There are those who know that they're broken and those who think they're whole and they don't know that they're broken. Do you remember, I think it's in Mark chapter 2, 1 or 2, that Jesus says, I did not come to call the righteous. The New Living Translation actually says it this way. He says, I did not come to call those who think they are righteous. I came to call the sick. I came to call sinners. So this is the story. There are those who are broken and those who are broken and don't know it. So let's go through the story real fast. So a man has two sons. The younger son says to the father, Father, you know what would happen when you die? You would split all of your wealth and all of your property. You'd split that and I would get a portion and my brother would get a portion. Well, Father, you're as good as dead to me. I don't want you. I want what you have to offer me. And so would you split all of your property and give me what is coming to me when you die? Now, what should the father have done in that moment? What would you do? If your children came to you right now and said, you're as good as dead to me, and I just want your money, you would not do what the father in the story did, would you? The father in the story should have called the, the, his city together and stoned his child for insubordination. But he didn't. What did he do? Okay, son, that's what you want. I'll give you what you want. I mean, that's a loving, good father. And he does it. He's merciful. He gives it to him. And what does the son do? The son takes the father's property, goes to a far distant land, and man, he is living it up, isn't he? Who knows what this, this kind of living is really meaning, but later on it talks about prostitutes, parties. Who knows? He is having the time of his life until the money runs out. Finally, the money runs out, and all the joy and life and pleasure and fun and happiness that he's having turns into, man, I'm hungry. What am I going to eat today? And so, this Jewish boy hires himself out to a pagan man who has a bunch of pigs. And this Jewish boy begins to do the unthinkable and to feed pigs. An unclean animal. No Jew in his right mind would do that, but he had no other options. He's at the bottom, isn't he? And he, one day he's out feeding the pigs and he looks at the slop that he's feeding the pigs and what does he do? Man, I'm hungry. I know I'm hungry because that's starting to look good. And it says in the Word of God, and when he came to himself, when he came to himself, his mind was set right. The Holy Spirit brought about conviction in his life. And what happens? He says, you know, this is absolutely ludicrous. The servants, the hired hands in my father's house are living better than I am. They have meals to eat. They're well taken care of. They have clothes to wear. And man, they don't smell like me. 
He says, I'm going home. And he begins to prepare this I'm sorry speech. Husbands, you have prepared this speech before, haven't you? You're like, oh man, I'm in trouble. So then you're like, how am I going to get myself out of the hole that I've dug? And you begin to prepare in your mind this I'm sorry speech. And he does too. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me a hired servant. I just want to live in your house, even if it means as a hired servant. And then he takes this long journey home. And on his way home, what happens? The father is standing, looking out toward a pagan nation, waiting for this wayward son to come home. The father sees the son, and what does the father do? Runs after him. Can you imagine how he smells? Can you imagine how he looks? Can you imagine how broken and messy he, he really truly is in this moment? The father runs out to meet him, throws his arms around him, embraces him, kisses him, puts shoes on his feet, a ring on his finger, a robe on his back, slaughters the fattened calf, calls the town together, and they celebrate. Isn't that good news? That is incredible, incredible news. What a story. Now, he says, I don't deserve to be in the family, so just make me a servant. Now, the younger son kind of brokenness, we get that, don't we? We get that that's brokenness. We get that that's sinfulness. It makes sense to us that that is separation from God. This group, we, we see rules. They're broken. And because of rules being broken, the relationship that you have with God is broken. And that makes sense. The relationship then has to be restored. How? The offender has to come home, admit his wrong, pay whatever restitution he's got to pay, and that makes sense to us. It makes sense to us. And that kind of broken is normal for those outside the church. Maybe you weren't raised in church. You realize that brokenness. Maybe you did run away and you lived that life. You understand that brokenness. You understand that lifestyle and that sin, that relationship that needs to be restored. But there's another brother. So let me finish the story. We finish the story. The father is throwing a party, fattened calf. The older brother is where? What's he doing? He's in the field working, just like the father told him to. He's in the field working, and what does he hear back at the house? Music and dancing. And I've said it before, it's a party when you can hear dancing. Music is understood, but when you can hear the dancing, that is a shindig. He hears the dancing, he calls a servant, and he says, Hey, what's going on back at Dad's house? Well, your younger brother's home. Your father's restored him back. And they're throwing a celebration because your younger brother's home. In that moment, I bet the servant thought he's going to be so happy with the news that I'm sharing with him. But that's not the older brother's response. The older brother doesn't even go home. He stays on the outside, in the field, tells the servant, call the father out to me. The father comes out to the older brother. 
And the older brother is angry at the father because the father has restored the wayward son. Understand this. When the father restored the wayward son to the family, now there's only a portion of the father's possessions left, right? And now the portion that remains is yet again split two ways. Are you following this? So do you understand why the older brother's angry? What I thought I had coming to me is now got to be split again. And so the story ends with the older brother on the outside of the party, separated from the father. Why? Because he's bitter. Listen to me. Lean in. Lean in, church family. Listen. Because he felt like the father owed him something. And he didn't get what he thought the father owed him. That kind of brokenness is equally as much of a brokenness as the, the younger brother. And this kind of brokenness is not unrighteousness, but self-righteousness. And self-righteousness is more akin to the kind of brokenness that we often find inside the church. There are rules that are kept, but the relationship is still broken. Why? Because the younger brother or the older brother wants the same thing the younger brother does. The younger brother wanted what the father had to offer. He wanted the father's possessions. What does the older brother want? The father's possessions. He doesn't say, Father, I've been obedient to you my whole life, but you never gave me anything that we could celebrate together. No, you never even gave me a young goat that I could take my young goat and go celebrate with people that I really care about. My friends, the older brother wants the same thing. Both sons want the father's inheritance, the father's possessions. For the younger son, shaming the father and running away was the way to get possessions and pleasure. For the older son, obedience to the father was the means to the end. Now stop for a second. How do you know if you struggle with older brother mentality? What is the content of your prayers? I want you to think about when you pray, what are you typically praying for? What is the thing that you pray for that you say to yourself, if I just have this, then I'll be happy? Sometimes the content of our prayers reveals to us what we really want from God. And sometimes we're actually, in fact, using God for what we want rather than worshiping God as He is. Sometimes the content of our prayers reveals to us that we have idols in our heart. See, brokenness comes in two forms or different forms. Some of us are the younger brother. We think that we sin so greatly that we don't deserve to be a part of God's family. And some of us are like the older brother. We think that we deserve all the blessings of God because of our good deeds, our obedience, our morality. And we believe that God owes us something. Both are broken. Both are in the wrong. Both need to be reconciled to the Father. And both need a Savior. So what does the father do? How does the father respond to both of these? Just understand, the father came out from the house to both of his sons. 
So the first one, what's he do? The father humiliates himself. It was humiliation for a man of that day to lift up his robes and run. And that's exactly what the father does. Running to the filthy prodigal son. He em- Can you imagine what his neighbors are thinking at that moment? What's he doing? That son has just caused so much shame, but what does the father do? He doesn't care about the shame. He absorbs the shame upon himself. He interrupts his I'm sorry speech. The son gets into it. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father interrupts him and says, bring quickly the best robe and put him on him. Imagine, okay, let's, let's understand that this is exactly what Jesus does for us. We come to him filthy. We come in repentance. We come covered in shame. And what does God do for us through Jesus? He takes the robe of God's perfect righteousness and covers us. He says, bring a ring for his finger. What is the ring symbolic of? This is the signet ring that this is a son, not a slave. He has all of the authority in my house just like I do. Bring him a ring. Put shoes on his feet. Shoes. Slaves didn't have shoes. Sons, children, family had shoes. He says, get all of it. Slaughter the fattened calf. Slaughter the fattened calf. He throws a party. What's this teaching us? The kingdom of God is a family where broken people can encounter the healing power of Jesus. This is what this text is teaching us today. But then there's an older brother. Father leaves the party, goes out into the field to plead with the older brother. Older brother's working diligently out there. He pleads with him, son, come in. Come in, come inside. The older brother says, this son of yours squandered it all, wasted it all, and now he's back and he's bringing shame upon our family. And the father says, this brother of yours was dead. And he's alive. He was lost. And he's found, come in, son. He says, all that's mine is yours. Now, is there any closure in the older brother's story? There's no closure, is there? We don't see a finality to the older brother's story like we see finality to the younger son, do we? The younger son, he's restored. He's whole. He's back. There's a celebration. What happens to the older brother? Man, Jesus is such a good parable teller. He leaves that for us to determine. He leaves that for us to determine. Because many of us are just like that older brother. We're broken on the inside. We're using God for what we really want. He's a means to an end. He's like a genie in a bottle that I'm trying to rub the right way so that he gives me the desires, the actual desires of my heart. There's, there's a warning here for us. The warning for us is that the brokenness of self-righteousness is harder than the brokenness of unrighteousness to be restored. It's harder to restore somebody who's self-righteous than somebody who knows they're unrighteous. 
Don't ever let self-righteousness sink in. Church family, don't ever let self-righteousness sink in. That I have it all together. I'm in the right here. I have done no wrong. God owes me. Because something bad's going to happen one day. Some tragedy, some trial, some tribulation, some suffering is going to happen to your life. And what's going to happen if you're self-righteous? God, I kept up my end of the deal. Where are you? I deserve better than this. Unrighteous people become broken oftentimes and return to the Father. Self-righteous people often become hard and callous against the Father. But here's the good news of the gospel. Everyone has sinned. Every one of us. All of us are separated from God the Father. And whether we're self-righteous or unrighteous, we cannot save ourselves by our good deeds, by our obedience, by our morality, not with a checklist. We can't save ourselves. Therefore, God sent Jesus to live as the true, obedient, older brother who would leave heaven to seek out that which is lost. Jesus left heaven to come and seek God's prodigal children. Whether they're prodigal through unrighteousness or self-righteousness, Jesus came to seek them out. He came to bear the sinner's shame and die on the cross in their place. Jesus dealt with the sin of unrighteousness and self-righteousness so that He might bring us to God and Jesus absorbed the entire cost of doing it. And that's why John 1.12 says it this way. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but of God. If you're out there and you're broken and you know it, receive Him. Believe on Him, and He'll give you the right to become children of God, born of the Spirit. It's because of this truth right here that we believe that SBC, Seneca Baptist Church, ought to be a family where broken lives can encounter the healing power of Jesus. But pastor, what if we leave, let messy people in here? They're going to get our place messy. Proverbs. There's a proverb about that, and I'm going to close with it, just this illustration. Proverb 14, verse 4 says, Where there are no oxen, the manger's clean. Do you get it? Where there's no oxen, you know what's not lying on the floor. So some would look at that and go, oh, that's great. There's no stuff. But abundant crops come by the strength of an ox. God has not created His church to be empty of oxen. Oftentimes, you, 
you may have heard the illustration that some people envision the church as a cruise ship. And we've all gotten on the boat, we've got our tickets, and we've gotten on the boat, and we're headed to glory. And the church exists to, like the waiters on the cruise ship that attend to your every need. But that's not the case. We know that's not the case. There was this boat that kind of came to the front of my mind in 2020 called the Mercy Ship. Do you remember this boat? made headlines, but it traveled all over the world and became a hospital, a floating hospital for people who are sick. So the question is, church, are we a cruise ship or are we the mercy ship? See, on a cruise ship, problems interrupt shuffleboard. But on the mercy ship, everybody's there to serve a purpose because we know there are broken, sick people who need a Savior. Imagine if a cruise ship would have come upon the sinking Titanic. Titanic's going down, there's gas and oil in the water all around. People are now covered in this. And the cruise ship comes up upon the the swarms of people covered in oil in the wake of the Titanic sinking. The cruise ship might look at him and say, We don't want them on here. They're going to get our lounge chairs dirty. But the mercy ship runs to them. And they're willing to get messy because broken people are messy. We understand that we exist for a reason. And the reason is not to be self-righteous, but because we know how unrighteous we are. We're beggars who've just found a place to get a loaf of bread and we're telling everybody about it. Church, I believe about Seneca Baptist that each one of you wants to be the mercy ship. I believe that. We don't exist to be a haven for saints, but what, a hospital for who? Sinners. So in the story as I end... As a close, which brother do you find yourself most often to be? The one struggling with sin, running away from the Father, living rebelliously, or do you struggle with self-righteousness? Each of them are bad for our souls, and each of them we need to repent of. Each of them we need to run back to Jesus and ask for forgiveness. Each one of them. Which one do you tend to be? There are going to be people who come to our doors and and they have made all kinds of poor decisions and we welcome them here. And we're here to walk with people who have rebelled against the Father into becoming a devoted disciple of Jesus. And that's going to be hard, long, and messy. And then there are going to be people who come to our doors that through no fault of their own, they have experienced incredible trauma and they are broken and hurting and they're looking for a place to belong. And we have one of the most incredible opportunities to become a place where broken people can become family. I know you want to be that just as much as I want to be that, maybe more. 
But this morning, would you stand with me? Maybe you just want to come and ask the Father to bring broken people to our church. Maybe you need to confess your brokenness, the brokenness of self-righteousness or the brokenness of unrighteousness. Maybe this morning you even need to trust Jesus for the first time ever. Would you bow with me? In a moment of silence, you and you alone, just meet with the Lord, confess your sin. Father, we're sinners in need of a Savior. We have a great need for a Savior and a great Savior to meet our need. And we're thankful for Jesus who died for our sin. And He restores us to God. We're thankful, Father. And this morning, Father, I'm asking that by Your grace, through Your Holy Spirit living in us, that You'd make us the mercy ship. That You'd make us a, a fire truck that runs to the fire rather than away from it that you would cause us to become a kind of people that are so secure in our own salvation that we will run to hell's gates and snatch people, as I think the book of Jude says, snatch people from the fire. Father, help us to love people so much that we're, in, we're willing to get messy to see healing come to messy people. Father, and we, we pray that we would become a safe place for hurting people. Whether that hurt is ours or others. Father, I know that there are people right now this morning who are hurting. I pray that you'd meet them there. As we sing together, Lord, continue to work in our hearts, convict us. And draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.